getting tense in the Middle East, and uh, the whole world is staring at that little country called Israel. It's pretty amazing that the Bible prophesied that it would be a burdenum stone to all nations, and that she, Israel, she sure is a burdenum stone to all nations. They don't know how to handle her, and they don't know what to do with her, and uh, our leaders seem like they don't know what they need to do or not do, but I know the Lord's got a plan, and it and honestly, that plan involves bringing in the Antichrist. So a lot of what you're seeing going on today is just getting the world set, stage set up. We've seen it getting set up in the computers, with the technology, with a cashless society, with the one world government. When it comes to one world health organization, one world banking system, you're seeing all this stuff get ready for what's prophesied to happen in Revelation 13 with the Antichrist. So I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, just be busy spreading the gospel as much as you can because I know and I really believe our time might be short and that the Lord Jesus Christ is about to come rapturous out of here. And I'm excited about that. So appreciate y'all being faithful to the Lord. So here we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. And we'll start back up at verse uh, 21. Galatians chapter 5 verse 21. And he's talking about the works of the flesh. And it be, would, that would, at, the, at the end, he says that would be envyings and murders and drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So that includes everything else that's not listed there in verses 19 through 21. He's talking about all the works of the flesh, that, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, do you mind praying over this teaching, please, brother? Thank you. Yes, Lord. Amen, amen. So what we, what we looked at last week, and we're going to continue and finish it up real quick tonight before we continue on, is there's, what we have going on there, when you read verse 21, you're like, oh, no. Because if you look through verses 19 through 21, there's not a person in this room that hasn't envied or had hate. or there, It's listed all that. Uncleanliness, I don't know, I'm, not going to put any, I'm not going to put any kind of sin on you that is not on you. But the truth is, is that all those Christians have committed and then he goes, and such like, which includes a lot of stuff that's not listed there, obviously. And you read that, and you're like, oh, no, I've done that. I've, done that. I've had those works come out of me. And then he says, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So some people have read those verses and said, oh, no, well, if you do that, then you're going to go to hell. You're not going to go to heaven if you do anything like that. Well, the truth is, is the Bible, and we, we, we studied this last Wednesday, the Bible teaches us that there's two different inheritances. The first inheritance is the one we looked at last Wednesday. Was an, it's called a millennial inheritance. And that millennial inheritance is what the Christian is offered as a reward for what he did on this earth right now. He'll get during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. So keep this, keep this in mind. We're in the church age right now, and we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ as a Christian for the body of Christ, for him to come get us out of here. And the church, the church reveals that or considers that or says that as the rapture. It's, we call it the rapture. You won't find that word in the Bible, but it's just a gathering together, a come hither. It's, a, it's, it's implied all through the scripture, and you see that in studying through Revelation and Daniel chapter 9. But the point is, is that in this church age, as we wait for the rapture, the rapture takes place. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, comes to the clouds of the air, calls out, his, calls out his loved ones, all the body of Christ, would go up to be with Jesus Christ. And during that time, the Bible says in Revelation 4 on, the great tribulation period starts. And then all that you read in Revelation, the mark of the beast and all that takes place. And then at the end of that, 
you got Jesus Christ comes back, he comes back and returns, and we're, we're, we're looking at that on Sunday services. Wednesday, Revelation 19, he comes back, brings us with him. Now, during that seven-year tribulation period, up in the clouds, it's, the, we're ta- it's the, what we call the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says a judgment seat. We're all stand before Jesus Christ to get the rewards we've earned for the good or bad that we've done in our body here on the earth. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, when it's talking about that judgment seat of Christ, that you're saved, you're saved, but you're going to have your works, your works that you've done for Jesus, put through the fire, and whatever comes out on the other side, be it gold, silver, uh, precious stones, those survive the fire. That's what we would say is used to build a crown. Everything else you've done for man or done for yourself, those works that are dead works, wood, hay, stubble, the Bible says they're burned up. And they go up and they're, work, they're just burned up. You lose rewards, but you're still saved, the Bible says. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So that judgment takes place. And what are you being judged for? You're being judged for the rewards he's going to give you. When he comes back in Revelation 19, when he comes back at that second coming, not the rapture, the rapture took place, at that second coming, and when he comes back, and he comes back and the battle arm again takes place, I've been preaching on that, and he goes in Jerusalem, he sits as a king of kings and lord of lords. Well, then the Bible says, if you keep reading Revelation, he's going to rule this world for a thousand years. It's a millennial reign of Jesus Christ, millennial. So when you study the Bible out and you study the genealogy of the Bible, what's interesting, this is why a lot of creationists, and I consider myself a creationist, they believe this, is that when you study the Bible out, we've been on the earth for just about 4,000 years. Excuse me, we've been on the earth for just about 6,000 years. So if we, there, was four th- there was Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ to where we're sitting at today is right about 2,000 years. And before Jesus Christ to the time of, the, of Genesis with Adam and Eve, the Bible genealogy teaches us that's about 4,000 years. So you got 4,000 years to the birth of Christ and then another 2,000 years. Say, Why do you say about 2,000 years? Because our calendars are messed up. That calendar is messed up. So this calendar over here, you look at this calendar... July, that's the seventh month, right? August is the eighth month. September is the ninth month. October is the tenth month. November is the eleventh month. December is the twelfth month. We know that, right? But look at the words. August is, the, is, 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 is July, August, September, sept. That's a Latin for seven. Oct, that's a Latin for eight. Sept, oct, nov, that's a Latin for nine. Seven, eight, nine, and des is ten. Des. So you know somewhere along the way this calendar got messed up. So we know we're around 2,000 years. We don't know. They, uh, they, uh, the Pope Gregory messed with the calendar back. Uh, one of the popes messed with the calendar, and it's been messed up. Uh, the Gregorian calendar that we use has been messed up ever since. So we, don't, we know we're close to 2,000. We don't know, give or take, 30, 40 years. Depends who you talk to. But the point is, is that during that reign of Jesus Christ, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Him. We're going to be, some of us are going to be ruling over ten cities. Some of us are going to be ruling over five cities. Some of us are going to be nothing but street sweepers in that millennial kingdom. How does God judge that? He, he found, you find out your position in the millennial, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. You find out about that at the judgment seat of Christ if we get your rewards or lose your rewards. And that's where Jesus is going to judge you. If you're going to, how are you going to rule and reign with him? Some of us will have no rewards. And then after that millennial reign, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, when the earth is just like the Garden of Eden and, it, and people are multiplying, and it's literally billions of people on the earth, then the Bible says Satan is loosed for a season. 
And it says, they'll follow him like the sands of the sea. And then it says, fire's brought, brought down by God. There's another right on Jerusalem, and then Satan is bound, and he's cast into hell, and that's the end of Satan right there. And then eternity. Then we go off into eternity. When you think of this eternity right here, that's what y'all think of. When you think of heaven, that's heaven. That's heaven. That's, that's, that, that's the, the bride of Christ coming down at the end of Revelation. No more tears, no more death, all of that. That's what we think of going to heaven. That's heaven. But the truth is, if you die today, you'll be up in, your soul will be up in heaven waiting for the rapture to when Jesus Christ comes and your body is took out. You get a brand new body. Your soul's put in. If we're alive at that time, we're changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. We get a new body, and then we go up to be with Jesus Christ. So when we come back to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, we'll have that immortal body. We'll have that incorruptible body. We'll have that sinless body. We can't sin, but we'll be ruling and reigning over the people that came through the tribulation period that are still on the earth. That's who multiplies by the billions by the time Christ, by the time the millennial reign ends. So this inheritance that he's talking about here in verse 21 is that millennial inheritance that I taught on last Wednesday where he talks in Luke chapter 19 that he gave one pound and said, see what you can do with this one pound, and the guy made 10 pounds out of it, remember? And at the end of last Wednesday's services in Luke chapter 19, there was a man there that took his pound and he hid it because he's afraid of Jesus Christ. He said, you're a hard, you're a hard king, you're, you're hard and austere in Jesus Christ. I'm going to judge you out of your own mouth. And he took that, what little bit that guy had, and he gave it to the one that had ten. And he said, you're not going to get to reign. He said, but those enemies that wouldn't let me reign, bring them forth for me and let me slay them. Battle Armageddon. So the point is, is that all that's a millennial inheritance. What you're reading about there is verse, verse 21 is a millennial inheritance. That's not the heavenly inheritance. The heavenly inheritance is, is simply this. Your salvation. You're saved. You're, if you're saved, you're saved, and God's going to keep you, and you're going to get to go to heaven. Amen? And th th that's what, so we'll hear people say that, and I mean it too. I'd rather be a street sweeper in heaven than to be, you know, than be a king in hell. And obviously, amen, we know that to be true. But those, that inheritance that we're talking about, that millennial inheritance, it's given to you at the judgment seat of Christ, and then you live that out for a thousand years, and then eternity. That heavenly inheritance is incorruptible. It's never, you're never going to lose it. It's your salvation. It's technically, doctrinally, it's called being born again into the family of God. We're all one big family, but we're all not going to get to inherit the same thing. If... We, got, we, we, bring, you, we know this to be true. If, you, if somebody has a, has a big property, has a lot of money, they might have three or four kids. Not all those, a lot of times, the, you might have one kid gets more of it because that one kid is, more, is, is a lot more responsible. I talked about this last Wednesday, didn't I, when I said that you might have a kid that they've been into drugs, they're not very responsible, they can't pay the bills, they can't take care of themselves. You're not going to give them a lot of money. You give the money to this brother here because this brother will take care of this brother that can't take care of himself. That's why, that's why the daddy does that kind of stuff. That's, the kind, that's what we're talking about this inheritance. But the, that's a millennial inheritance. That, those verses were Romans chapter 8, verse 17, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Those tell us that if we don't suffer with Christ, we won't reign with Christ. And then Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 27, that's that millennial reign that we're talking about. Now, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's talk about that in heavenly inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to talk about the heavenly inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
we have a heavenly inheritance. Now, there's two different inheritances. There's a millennial inheritance that I just talked about now for about 10 minutes. And now I'm going to show you the heavenly inheritance. This is an inheritance that will, you'll never lose as a Christian. You'll never lose this inheritance. It's the inheritance that you're going to inherit heaven one day. Okay, you got it? If you're saved, you're going to inherit heaven because you're part of the body of Christ. You belong to Christ. You're part of that family, the family of God. You're going to get to go into heaven. It's a heavenly inheritance. Millennial inheritance, that thousand-year period, that's a totally different thing. That's based on rewards. That's based on your works. That's that thousand years that we were talking about. Now, look, pick it up in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be, the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. There you go. Born again, amen. Begotten us. We're born again by God. Unto a lively hope. The resurrection gives us a hope that's alive. It's a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have this hope. Of course, that hope is wonderful. It's a living hope because we have a living Savior. Now go right into verse 4. Here you go. To an inheritance incorruptible. That's a heavenly inheritance. And undefiled. You can't touch it. Your works can't touch it. Your sin can't touch it. What you do or don't do can't touch it. It's an incorruptible. It's undefiled. And that fadeth not away. There's nothing you can do to lose it. It's a, it's a heavenly inheritance reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. Every Christian that's born again, I don't care what kind of Christian life you're living, be it good or bad, God has got a reservation waiting for you. Think about it as a fancy restaurant. Think about going to a fancy restaurant. Have you ever been to a restaurant where you've had, and maybe I've only done this a couple of times in my life, where you've had a reservation, you walk in there, and you open up the door, and all these people are sitting around, and it's like, a, and like a red lobster or something, and they're all sitting around, and they look at you, they kind of look at you, and you walk up to the lady, and they're like looking at you, and they're like, oh, he has, he's going to have to wait a long time. And they're like, what's your name? Say, so, my name's uh, Keegan Hall. And like, oh, yeah, we got, two we got a table for two for you. Come on right this way. And you look back at everybody and go, mm, and you stick your tongue out of you. And they're waiting. That's you, Christian. You get up to the gates of heaven and they look out there. Say, could we let them in? Say, well, look in that book right there, the Lamb's Book of Life. Let me look in the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh, yeah, you got a reservation, Kicking Hall. Come on in, the gates. And everybody else will be sitting out on the outside. That's us. You got the reservation. Praise God for that. Look at verse 5. But no, no, go back to verse 4 because I want to point out one other thing before we continue. So this is a heavenly inheritance. You say, Brother Keegan, how do you know for sure it's a heavenly inheritance and not the millennial inheritance? Because look at the end of verse 4. It's reserved in heaven for you, not on the earth. Notice that millennial, everything Christ talked about in Luke chapter 19, that suffering and reigning, that's when Jesus Christ is reigning for a thousand years. That's that thousand years. That's a millennial inheritance. This is a reservation, not in a millennial, not an earthly reservation. This is a heavenly reservation. You got it? This is that heavenly. That's, when you think of heaven, that's, that's past uh, millennial kingdom. That's way past that thousand years. That's when there's no more tears, no more sea. There's a new heavens, a new earth. All of that, that's past that thousand years. That's that heavenly. It's reserved in heaven for you. Now notice this reservation. Are you going to be able to keep it? Amen? Because I've had reservations where I've had to call and say, oh, I'm not going to be able to make that. You can just cancel that reservation. And that's what some people 
some people, some Christians think that's what's going to happen, that God makes a reservation up in heaven, and then you do some little naughty bad thing, and God calls back up there and says, cancel that reservation. He's no longer welcome here. That's not how God works. And I'm going to show you the verses. Because you have this idea, and some Christians have this idea, not you, but some Christians have this idea that you've got to keep the reservation. Like, okay, I've got the reservation. I've got to get the car. I hope the taxi gets here on time. I hope I'm dressed up. And then you're out there waiting in the living room, and your wife's in there doing her makeup and doing her hair, and you're looking at the clock. You're like, we're not going to make the reservation. She better hurry up. And you're, oh, honey, we're running late. You might want to come on. You're, you're afraid that you're going to have to keep the reservation. Amen. Look at the next verse. Who are kept by the power of God. Who keeps that? You're kept by the power of God. That reservation's kept by God for you. Who, it's not you. Who are kept, how? By my works? By my good deeds? By the things I'm doing? For, no, you're, that, you're kept by the power of God. How's God. How does God, how do I get that power of God? Through faith. You see it? Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. That salvation is not evident right now. Amen. You can look at me. You don't know if I'm saved or not. I give a good testimony, but who knows if I'm saved or not. But the truth is, i got the witness inside me. I know I'm saved. You can't talk me out of it. And I know there's been some brothers and sisters that try to talk me out of it. It don't work. I'm part of the family. And I, all I can say is I've got the spirit in me. You know what that spirit says? Abba, Father. I can't explain it. I just feel it. And when I'm misbehaving, I'm misbehaving to my Father. I don't care what other Christians think. I'm having to answer to Him. There's something, there's a witness in me. And I'm kept by the power of God through faith. Amen. It's my faith in Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And when I did, He begot me. That's back up at verse 3. I'm born again. And whoa, I'm part of the family of God. And it don't matter if I one day say, you know what, I won't be part of this family anymore. T tough luck. He's my father. I'm his son. Nothing changes that. Ever. Nothing changes that. And I'm going to show you that, why, why I believe that, why I teach that. But you're seeing there, there's a reservation. There's an inheritance. It's, a it's not a millennial inheritance. This is that second one. This is that heavenly inheritance. Now, I want to focus on tonight. Well, we've got a few minutes left. I want to focus on tonight. Are you saved? Once saved, always saved. Is that, is that true? Once saved, always saved. Now, when we get done tonight, I've got this track. That you're welcome to come up here and take it home with you. Keep it. It says up here, once saved, always saved, question mark. And that's pretty much the title of my teaching tonight. Can a born-again Christian ever be lost? And I'm going to show you that the answer to that is a most definitely no. I'll show you why. Turn to John chapter 14. Turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 14. So you've got this reservation. And Jesus Christ is... It's got, it says you got a reservation, it's up in heaven, and God's keeping it for you through the power, through His power. You don't have to keep it. Praise God that I don't have to keep that reservation because I would miss it. I would, I, I, I'm glad God, it's in God's power. It's not in Kigan's power. I'm glad it's not in the pastor's power. Amen? It's not in a Baptist power. It's not in a Methodist power. It's not in the Pope's power. It's not in the Southern Baptist Convention's power. It's in God's power. Listen, that's what happens with people. They get into church, and maybe they have a good preacher, or maybe they like the preacher, or maybe they, they got saved under that ministry or under that preacher, and, and, they, and then the preacher messes up. 
The preacher does something he's not supposed to do. Maybe he does something really, really awful. Maybe he runs off the piano player or does something really, really awful. And then they get mad at God. And they're really mad. Well, God, that preacher wasn't keeping you. That preacher's not who saved you. It's Jesus Christ. And they forget that. They forget that. They, put them, that pre, they, put, they forget that who's keeping them is God through faith in Jesus Christ, not the, not the church you're in or not the pastor or the denomination. It's in this book, in the words of this book. But notice here in John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. What Jesus Christ says. And he's talking directly to his disciples. This isn't lost and saved. This is directly to people that are saved, to believers. Look, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. What God is, what Jesus Christ is doing right now, He's building that mansions. He's building those houses. He's getting ready. He's preparing a place for you. Up in heaven, it's a heavenly inheritance. And He's gone up to heaven and He's working on it right now. And why is He doing that? Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, when I first read that in 1 Peter chapter 1, I thought, man, that's a reservation. It's made for me. Now, how am I going to get up there, you know? I mean, really, honestly, I started thinking, well, how, how am I, I don't know how to get to heaven. I mean, you can tell me all day long, Keegan, you've got a reservation at uh, Mario's up in New York City. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. It's the fanciest restaurant in the world. Wow, really? Yeah, it's called Mario's. I've made a reservation for you. And it's hang up the phone. Well, good luck. How am I going to get there? You know, like, I've got to spend, you know, $1,000 flying at the Met, and then I don't know how to get around New York City. But isn't it wonderful that you have a Savior that says, I'm going to heaven, and then I'll come get you? Amen. Praise God. I mean, to think that, man, you don't, you don't have to worry about getting there. All you say is, okay, when I take my last breath, all you're doing is just punching your ticket for Jesus to show up and say, okay, friend, I'm here to get you. Let me show you the way, and he'll show you. He'll make you right up into heaven. So what you're going to do, that reservation illustration I use where you go to the fancy restaurant, what happens is all those people are outside, and here comes this fancy limo, and out, out you step, and who steps behind you? Well, it's the owner of the restaurant. It's Jesus Christ, and he just, you just walk on through. And the reservation's already been made. I got, it's reserved for you. I've been preparing the table for you. I've been preparing your house. All those wonderful promises from God. And Christians don't get it. They start trying. I'm amazed how many people try to put themselves into hell. And other people into hell. They, what they do is they accuse me of being a hellfire. We were talking about this, right? I'm a hellfire preacher. I'm a hellfire brim. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm the hellfire brimstone preacher. I'm the one that's trying to get everybody into heaven. I try to keep them in heaven. And then you go to other churches where they're like, oh, that guy's so nice. Yeah, he's real nice. But if you talk to him about what he believes, he thinks everybody that he knows is in hell. Because <laughs> you've done a naughty thing. Here's the problem. And here's the main crux of the problem. Is people don't understand two things. Doctrinally, they don't understand the new birth, that you're born into the family of God. And secondly, they really don't understand how and what God feels about sin. They think God's like, oh, that's a really bad sin. Oh, and this is a really, this is okay sin. So what happens is you start living this life where you're not committing adultery, you're not murdering anybody, amen? And, and you start thinking, I'm a pretty good old boy. I'm not, a, I, 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 I'm, I'm not a sinner like those sinners, and God's got, I'm pretty righteous. And you start thinking that the righteousness that's going to get you into heaven is your own righteousness. <laughs> I've seen it a million times. I've seen it a million times. 
And you start pointing your finger like, look at how bad they are. Look at how bad. And they're doing that. And then you start. And then those sins that you commit in your heart, those sins you don't like anybody to see that nobody can see, but it's real deep down in your heart, like jealousy and envy and hatred. You can hide those sins so nobody else can see it. And you can point your little bony finger. Oh, look at the sin they're doing. Look at how they're getting drunk. And look at how they're committing adultery. And look at how they're dressing. And it gets down that far, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? See how they're dressing? They're definitely going to hell the way they dress like that. That's, the, that's that self-righteousness that comes in all of that. And you don't understand that how God sees all sin will send you to hell. You might be the best person in the world, and if just one little sin is going to send you to hell. And truthfully, when you study this word, what sends you to hell is not the sin you commit. It's, the sin, it's, the, it's not a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. In other words, you're not taking the cure. It's like everybody gets the same disease. That same disease is called sin. And everybody's going to die and go to hell because of that. And you were born that way. But there's a cure, and that cure is called Jesus Christ. You've got to take your faith and put it in Jesus Christ. He gives you the free gift of eternal life. It's a grace. It's a free gift. you just got to ask for it. He gives it to you. But the world thinks, no, it's because I stopped sinning, and when I stop sinning, then God's going to allow me into heaven. That's nowhere in the Bible. He that believeth on me... He that believes on the Son of God is not condemned. I believe I'm not condemned anymore. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You're going to die already. You've already got the disease. You're going to die of that disease. It's a sin of omission. You're omitting the cure. If I tell you, if the doctor comes in the office and says, hey, you've got this horrible disease, you're going to die in about three months. You know, that's the worst news. Well, I got some good news for you. Gospel. If you'll take this shot, You'll be cured. You don't have to worry about it anymore. That's what we're offering people through Jesus Christ. I'd rather die and I'd rather die and be in a grave than to take your cure. That's what we just heard. That's what, how people act. And then they walk out the doctor's office and say, that's the silliest thing ever. And then three months later, <laughs> and then you think, well, I'm living a good life. That's why I didn't die. No, it's not, because you took the cure. And you're going, to leave, you're going to get out there and you're going to start living. The Lord is going to start working in your life. And we do, do tend as Christians, right, to be a little bit more righteous because we've got the Holy Spirit living in us and He's working on us and He's showing us the truth and He's giving us wisdom to know how to dress and know how to act, to notice those things in our heart that are not right, be it envy, jealousy. And we get in there and we, we start working on it. And then we start thinking that we're doing it. <laughs> and it's been the Holy Spirit working through us and out of us. It's very self-righteous to think the way people think about hell and damnation. The truth is, I want everybody to be saved, and I tend to put everybody into heaven. And I think maybe the Lord will judge me. when I, I don't put everybody into heaven, but my truth is, is, I'm like, do they believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, but they sure didn't. They didn't live a good life. Well, man, I hate they didn't have any fruit, but maybe, maybe, maybe they're in heaven. You know why I have that kind of feeling? Because I've read in my book where I have a God that's willing to die to see people go to heaven. When, I'm not talking about a God, God that says, hey, I want you to live this way and live that way. Now, good luck. I hope you can do it. And he goes up to heaven. He cares enough to get you into heaven. He's willing to die. I'm not willing to die. Not for anybody in this room. You want me to confess that? Let me take it a step further. Would you give one of your kids for me? God did. Gave his only begotten son. Would you give one of your kids for me? No, I know, I know. Don't lie. Let me take it a little step further. Let's go down to Gatesville. 
Let's go down to the deepest parts of the maximum security prison in Gatesville and say, see that murderer right there? He murdered and raped a woman right there. You should say how heinous it was. Would you give your son for that one right there? God did. Now, if God, in his infinite love, is willing to do all that to try to reach a man that's unreachable, why are we trying to take people that, we, that said, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I think they're probably in hell anyway. Are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Hell is horrific. It's eternal. Once you take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you got it. You're not going to lose it. Look at John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10. I know I'm, I'm, I'm ranting and raving tonight, but man, this is, a real, this is a touchy subject for me. This is the whole reason why I preach the gospel is because it's the good news. Man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't preach the gospel if I thought people could lose it. I know people think I think crazy, and I do think crazy. I'm kind of a kooky guy, but you know, I, I'm going to pick on the Church of Christ. So Church of Christ, what they'll teach you in a nutshell sometimes, and I've heard the Baptists, I've, no, I've heard the, their preachers tell me this, I've heard it out of their own mouth. This is what they'll say. So you, they, you go down, you take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You repent, you believe, you receive. But then you've got to get baptized to get saved. And what they'll say is, that baptism, that city water or well water, whatever you're using, that's what cleanses and washes away your sin. So you come out of the water, you're clean, you're saved. But if you go out and start living a sinful life, you will fall from grace and you're going to go to hell. So my question was, okay, well, if you get, you get the sins again, right, amen? I, I'm following you, I'm following you. Because we're all sinners, amen? So I come back, I repent. Yes. Will I be saved again? Yes. You'll be saved again. You'll be saved then. Oh, okay. So then I get back in the baptistry. No, 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 no. You don't have to get baptized again. You're already baptized. Well, I thought you told me baptism washed away my sins. But now you're telling me, I don't have to be baptized, just repent. No, I'm not getting that. So this is my little kooky idea. If I was a Church of Christ preacher, which I'm, thank God I'm not, I got more sense than that. If I really thought that that water was going to wash away your sins and you are going to be saved right then, man, I'd have Brother Ronnie back there with the deer rifle. As soon as I put you under and I brought you up, praise God, you're saved, bam, I'd have him blow your head off. Like, oh, they're going to heaven. Let's get another one in here. Amen. I don't have to worry about him going to hell. That's nonsense, isn't it? But you're not meditating on it. You don't know the word of God. You don't understand. Here, look at John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10, look, verse, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Look at verse 28. This is the verse you need to underline, put a star by it, whatever. And I give unto them eternal life. They didn't earn it. They don't earn, it didn't say, and they earned eternal life. They worked the way to earn eternal life. They kept their eternal life. He said, I give it to them. Right. And there's one thing I know about the Lord God. He's not an Indian giver. Right. And I mean that due respect, all due respect to American Indians all over the world, because I'm part American Indian. He doesn't give you something and then try to take it back. It's a free gift. If he can take it back, it's not free. I don't know if you understand that. If you come to my house and say, hey, Brother Kicking, I want to give you this. Really? What? Let me give you $20 for it. No, you just have it. Just, it's, it, it's a brand new drill. You'll love it. Just, it it's, I wanted you to have it, Brother Kicking. You have it. It's a free gift. And then two weeks later, you come by and you say, hey, I want that. No, you, I don't, no, you gave that to me. Well, I want to give it back now. 
No, no, you gave it to me. Listen, if it's free, it's free indeed. Jesus said, if you're set free by the Son of God, you're, if you're set free, you're free indeed. And He gives you eternal life. And they shall never perish. Well, if you go out there and you, you commit a sin, you're going to probably die and go to hell. You'll perish if you come out there and do this and you do that. I read my Bible where He says He gives it to you and you'll never perish. I underline that in my Bible. Y'all do what y'all want to do. But that little word right there, never, I had to underline twice. That's how much it means to me. Never Never perish. And they shall never perish. Let me ask you a question. How can you, in any church, I don't care if you're Baptist, non-denominational, get up and believe that you can be saved and lose it and then get up and sing Amazing Grace. How can you do that? That's the most hypocritical thing. I mean, and I've, I've visited a church of Christ where they get up there, Amazing Grace. What's so amazing about that? You give it to me, you take it away, I can die, I can lose it. You're gonna, what's so amazing about that? Be better to say, my God is an Indian giver, but they're not going to sing that. Now, when I get up and I sing out of that hymn and I sing Amazing Grace, that's amazing. Man, I'm a sinner and you give me eternal life and if I commit sins afterwards, I'm still saved? You mean Jesus Christ died for my sins before I was saved and after I was saved? Praise God, this is a pretty good deal. Amen doesn't mean that I'm not going to have to answer for those sins at the judgment seat of Christ, amen. So when I get up to heaven, you say, oh, are you getting away? No, 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 no. That's when I get my whipping right up there. He gives me a whipping down here for the stuff I'm doing, promise. And let me tell you, I can tell you some stories. He's gave me whippings down here. But when I get up to the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says that it's going to be terrifying. To stand before a judgmental Jesus Christ and say, okay, let's see what you've done for me. And you stand before him like that, man, that's going to be, it's going to be scary. Because see, you might, your wife might know about it, your husband might not know about it, but he's going to know everything you did. And have to, as a Christian. Now all the stuff before you got saved, Christ is not judging you for that. He's judging you as part of the family of God. Like, what have you done since I started dwelling in you and tried to work through you and gave you that little bit of talent? What have you done for me? I give you eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'm in the nail-scarred hands. I, he's got me. I can't get away. Nobody will pluck them out of, out of my hands. And let me take this a doctor. Let me take it a little doctrinally, a little further. You not only are in the nail-scarred hands, you're part of the nail-scarred hands. You're part of the body of Christ. He can't deny himself. You're actually part of that hand. You're part of the body of Christ. Listen to doctrinally. Now look at verse 29. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's deity. I'm God. And my Father are one. Nobody's going to take them out. No. I like that. My Father which gave them all is greater than all. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. Greater than all the armed forces, greater than all the devil's devices, greater than all the devil's demons, greater than all your sins. Your God is greater. Because you took his son, Jesus Christ. You took, the, you took the payment. The great type of this is the Passover lamb. You remember the story of the Passover lamb? The, which Christ is our Passover lamb. Amen. You take the blood, you put it on the doorpost... 
You got Jesus. You got the repentant thief, the unrepentant. You put the blood on the doorpost, and, and God says, you get in that door, and when I come over and I see the blood, I'll say, it's, it's the blood, that's a token unto me that it, death's already been there, and I'll pass over. So when I took Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, the Bible says, Jesus Christ, I'm covered in the blood. So if you think about that story in Exodus, who could get in that door? Anybody who believed. So that hooker, that harlot, that murderer, that child molester, anybody says, oh, if we just get in that door, we'll be saved. They went in that door. And when God came by, he says, death's already been here. And it's all through the Bible that way. Amen. Let's look at the final one, Ephesians chapter 1. Boy, I'm, I'm, I know I'm hitting it hard, but this is an important subject. And I hope every Christian understands it. If you don't understand it, take the track and go home and study it and, and look through these. And there's, more, there's more. This is just a sampling of the verses that talks about your eternal. And it's, more, it's, it's not just a doctrinal statement. It's, it's all through the Bible this way. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. And we're, we're going to start closing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. You put your trust in Christ, amen. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when? After that you heard the word of truth. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay, after you heard the word, somebody preached the word of truth, you trusted the gospel of, our, of your salvation, you heard the good news of Jesus Christ, in whom also after that you believed. So you heard it, you trusted it, you believed it, what happened? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Everybody in this room that's saved is sealed by the Holy Spirit. God put a seal on you, and nobody's going to break that seal. You're sealed in, like, like peach preserves. It's sealed up. Nobody can break that seal. And in the Bible, we don't have time to study it, but in the Bible, a seal in the Scripture signifies a finished transaction. It signifies ownership. It signifies security all through the Scripture. And I might teach on that pretty soon. But it, a seal in Scripture, a seal in Scripture signifies a finished transaction. That's Jeremiah 32. Ownership, that's Jeremiah 32. And security, that's all through Bible with Matthew 27, Daniel 6. It's security. What God's doing is he's putting a seal on you and you're sealed up and he's saying, that belongs to me. And it's through the Holy Spirit. So the, the devil sees it, the demons see it, the angels see it, we can't see it. The spiritual realm, there's a seal on you by the Holy Spirit and you're sealed right there. Now look at chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. You're sealed, brothers and sisters. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and we're closing. You're sealed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You're sealed. God sealed you up. And nobody's going to break it until he's ready. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And look at this, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed when? Unto the day of redemption. Redemption. That's when your body's redeemed. God's put a seal on you. Nobody can break it. And he sealed you through the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Boy, you got it. 
if you, if you got Jesus Christ, you got it. Don't let anybody take it away from you. One of the favorite things I like to do, when I, especially the younger guys that have been saved under my ministry, you know, I've, I've seen led to the Lord, our person led to the Lord. I might not see them for 10 years sometimes, younger guys sometimes. And I'll see them, they'll be in their late 20s, and I'll talk to them, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Brother Kicking? And I'll say, are you saved still? Are you still saved? I've never, now, now God's my witness, I've never had one of them hesitate or pause or look down. They look me right in the eye and I say, yeah, I'm still saved. They got it. I'm here to tell you, when you got Jesus Christ, nobody can talk you out of it. I'm not saying that you might not have a gun put to your head and you might deny him. I'm not, we're not going to get into all that. We're talking about you know what's in you. And you got that witness that Abba Father. And man, nobody can talk you out of that. It don't matter, you know, and you know the sin you've done, amen? But what you, let me tell you something. As a preacher, I'm going to finish by saying this. Don't let people fool you. Everybody is a sinner. There's some people better at hiding it than others. That's what gets on my nerves. That kind of holier-than-thou thing. Man, don't. Just go kid your mama. Man, you can't kid me, man. I've been in the world too long. I know, I know what people do behind closed doors. I know how people hide their sin. I know how people do it. But God knows it. And he still loves us. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.